Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Peter and John, they were standing before the, uh, the high priest and the rulers of Jerusalem. And apparently, Peter and John, they had, they had stirred up some trouble and they needed to give answer for what they had done. Now, you and I might think that what they did was really causing trouble. But to the ruling class, to the ruling class of, of Jerusalem, what they had done and what they were preaching, it was a big problem. What did they do? Well, Peter and John, they were, they were headed into the temple to pray. And as they approached the temple, they ran into a beggar who had been lame since birth. Um, he had never walked a day in his life. And he was out there begging for money. And, and, and this is what it reads in Acts chapter 3. It says, um, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. Walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. See, they healed a man. And then, after healing the man, the guy went with them to church. Um, as they entered into the temple, you know how we enter it, and they got music going, and it's waiting on. This guy couldn't wait for the service to start. He, he wasn't going to wait on the music. He was already ready to praise God. And so he comes in and he's praising God. Now, you, you remember, this guy has never walked a day in his life. It says he was lame since birth. And he comes in skipping and a jumping. I, I, I don't believe this. My wife said after having coffee with you on Friday that you saw me skipping in the church. I, I just don't think I was. But, but this guy who was lame, he comes in and he's like... Hallelujah, praise, look, he's like, I mean, he was, he might have been doing that, you know, uh, who knows, but he is just praising God, just what would you have done with your first steps? He celebrated so much that he drew attention, and people turned to see what was going on. Who is this guy? Why is he so happy? What's he all excited about? And then somebody recognizes him. And he's like, I know who that guy, that's, that's the guy who's always begging. That's the guy who's been out there since he was a kid. That's the guy he's never walked. What's, I know that guy. And because the people knew this man, they knew his story. They knew where he came from. Amber Alert, San Antonio. Be on the lookout for a white Toyota. All right. Anyway, you all got it. The people knew who this guy was. You can't silence those anyway, too. They Somehow they bypass your, your, keep your phone on silent. Anyway, thank you, Amber. Um, 
People knew who this guy was. They knew his story. They knew where he was from. They knew he'd been lame from his birth. And because they knew all that, they thought they knew his future. I mean, why else would his future be anything other than a hopeless repeat of the days before? You know, several of you today, the fact that you are here in this place of worship, to to worship God, it is a cause of shock and amazement among people who knew you, who knew where you came from. Like the, the fact that you're here, what people know where you came from, they're like, I wouldn't have seen you to be somebody who would be praising God and worship. People who knew your story and people who thought that they knew your future too. That yours would just also be a continual repeat of the past. There are some of you whom other people did not think that life change was a possibility. That you were a lost cause. They thought you had too much baggage. Too many mistakes that spiritually speaking you have been lame since birth. So here's this man. And he is clinging to Peter and John. And the people in the temple that day, they, they run over and the, to get a closer look. And it's like, uh, to get a better understanding, what has happened here? And, and Peter begins to tell them about Jesus. Uh, he, he tells them that Jesus is the promised Savior. Um, that, uh, that, that Jesus is from God. And that by, by the power that is in the name of Jesus, that, that he has the power to change a person's life. Even if they've been in a hopeless situation. People start to trust in Jesus. They say, look what, this, look what Jesus did for this lifelong cripple. If he can heal him, if he could change his life, then, then maybe we need to take another look at this Jesus. You know, there's some incredible historical evidence about the person of Jesus. I mean, we know from even non-biblical sources, Jesus was an, an, a real person that he taught about the kingdom of God that he was known as a miracle worker. This is non-biblical stuff that can corroborate what's in the Bible. We know these things about Jesus. There is incredible historical evidence about the resurrection that I would say is, is it, it, to me it makes his resurrection absolutely undeniable. Um, it's just amazing stuff that God has put there for us to, to see, to help build our faith in what he's done. There, but, but even though these are people that lived in the midst of that, that even with all that great evidence about Jesus, one of the greatest convincing evidences about the power of Jesus is the life that he changes. And people are like, yeah, 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 we heard about him rising from the dead, but look what he did for this crippled guy. Yeah, 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 we heard what he's done for rising from the dead, but, but look at the life that he's changed with this person who's no longer addicted to drugs, this person who's, who's got a... Uh, a new and healthy marriage. This, 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 there's so many stories in here about what Jesus did. One of the great convincing evidences of Jesus is what he does in our lives. I was once a lost cause. And Jesus changed all that. When, when people saw how this man's life was changed, they heard that Jesus was the power behind the change, and many of them began to believe and this was troubling to the priest in the temple. In fact, listen, read this with me. In Acts chapter 4. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. It says they were greatly annoyed. They're, they're, they're sitting there thinking, it's like, didn't we put an end to this Jesus stuff? I, I thought that when we crucified him, that all this Jesus excitement would die with him. And, and then there was this news of his resurrection. And now to come and find out this guy is still doing miracles? They were greatly annoyed. It's remarkable to me how the world will applaud life change. But if Jesus is the reason for the change, then they get annoyed. I mean, uh, a man can, uh, can quit being a drunk, can, can start coming home, start loving his family, and the world will approve and say, good job. But when Jesus is given credit, oh, they roll their eyes. Jesus. Uh, you can be healed of an addiction and be cheered, but to give credit to Jesus, well, that's annoying. You can be raised in a loving, Christ-centered family with, with a mom and a dad and a, 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 who parent as they walk with Jesus. And, and the result, are, there are blessings too much to count. And the world can say, that's wonderful, but, but if you give Jesus the credit, people get annoyed. My wife and I were just talking today about, like, you know, the, some of the TV shows where you know, I like uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. They, they show me how to transform things with their little, what's the name of their show? Yeah, whatever y'all said. I, I, it's just, it was all mumble up here, but y'all know. They say, that's great. They can make a house look beautiful. Oh, but they go to a church. Oh, now we're annoyed. The Duggar family, I mean, they make me feel better about all five of my kids. You know, like I'm, I'm, I got a small family. They're, doing, they're raising great kids. But to give Jesus credit, people get annoyed. It should be no surprise to you today that people are annoyed because of Jesus because they were annoyed back then too. And I guess the reason that people are, are, that are going to be annoyed that the, that the Sadducees and the rulers back then were greatly annoyed. And I think this is the reason. The reason is you can't control Jesus. You can't stop him. You cannot manipulate him. You cannot blackmail him. You cannot back him into a corner and, and limit his choices to where he only can choose what you want him to do. You, you cannot control Jesus. You cannot make him do what you want. If, and if you're under the illusion of being in control, just like these chief priests were, uh, then, then that's threatening. This, this person that you cannot control and just as, it is, just as it is today, when people see life change, some people believe. And you all have great testimonies. And some people are greatly annoyed. I'm sure you've experienced both. Some people will see the work of Jesus in your life and they'll be drawn to it. Others will see the work of Jesus and they'll be threatened by it. And they'll say things like, you've changed. Yeah, I, you're different. I, I like the old you better than this this you. And uh, truth be told, it's like life is about change. We're supposed to grow. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not the same guy I was in high school. And it's sad that you, you're 55 and you are. I mean, come on, let's grow, guys. Um, so the chief priest. They have Peter and John arrested. And the next day they bring Peter and John 
before the whole council. And they also bring with them the man that was healed. And, uh, and they question about the healing. And they're, they're asking, how could this happen? What, what sort of men can do such a healing? And, and how big is this threat? Uh, and verse Acts 4.13 says, And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, it says Peter and John, they said they were uneducated. Um, this doesn't mean that they did not know how to read and write. Um, a, a, it was typical for a Jewish boy to receive education up till about the age of 13. All right? And then those who showed aptitude would get chosen to go into the rabbinical schools. If you were not chosen to go into a rabbinical school, um, you, would, you would go and you'd learn your father's trade. Or you'd become an apprentice and learn another trade. But that's basically what happened. Peter and John would have known how to read and write. When they said they were uneducated, they're saying it's like, but you didn't have like our education. You didn't go to the rabbinical schools. Peter and John were common, meaning that they, were, they would have been educated until they were 13. Um, doesn't mean that they didn't know how to read and write. In all likelihood, Peter went to school till he was 13, and then he worked with his father as a fisherman. John also was from a fisherman's family. But they both would have received that, that education up till 13. So, Here's where I'm going with this great story. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. You see, Jesus does a, a transforming and equipping work in our lives. And uh, you think about what Jesus does with these disciples. If you are looking to start a movement, a, a movement that is going to change the face of the world, uh, if you're looking to start a spiritual revolution, who would you call upon? I mean, it might be a good idea to seek the best and the brightest to find students who show aptitude. Maybe people who are tall and athletic and influential or charismatic. Uh, maybe get some people who've got some achievements, some fame, a, a reason for people to listen to them. Perhaps a prince or, or, or the son of someone famous, someone with some credentials. But that's not what Jesus did. His disciples were what they would consider common, uneducated men. They were ordinary. In fact, what is so remarkable about the men Jesus chose to be his disciples is how unremarkable they all are. If you were launching a spiritual revolution, a worldwide outreach based on love, integrity, and character, would you choose a fisherman, a a pessimist, a a white-collar criminal? Would you choose a braggart, a terrorist? The disciples that Jesus chose, they were not necessarily your all-star lineup of people. They were incredibly ordinary. They were diverse, and they were raw and untamed. Not one of them was a public speaker. Not one of them was formally trained. And and here's the truth that you see in what Jesus does with these disciples. And and this great story that we've already read of, of how God, he will use them. God does not... Call the equipped, God equips the called. That's what he does. He doesn't call those who are already special and fully formed. He he equips those he calls. When they saw that they were uneducated common men, it says they were astonished. 
And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And Jesus had equipped these uncommon, uneducated men. And it's an amazing thing to see what Jesus does in a person's life. See, God's not looking for talent or aptitude. He's looking for someone with a heart that is willing to follow. And you see this truth um, that that God does not call the equip. He equips the call. You see this truth all throughout Scripture. Um, If you think you're too ordinary for God to use, or if you think that your past is filled with too many mistakes, um, let me remind you of the people in the Bible that God uses. Noah, he was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a dreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Um, Joseph was abused. Moses, he had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. Martha was worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus? He was dead. Look, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And just like Jesus took 12 ordinary men and equipped them to change the world, he can use you too in a mighty way. And it's part of his plan and his calling on your life. The question is not can Jesus take ordinary you and use you in a significant way. The question is will you allow him to equip you for his purposes? Because if you will open yourself up to the work of Jesus in your life, he can transform your life be a mighty servant of his. It was, have we not learned that in the hands of Jesus, miracles happen? They placed five loaves and two fish in the hands of Jesus, and he feeds 5,000 people with plenty of leftovers. He took some mud in his hands, and he, uses, and he heals a blind man with it. Uh, he, he took his hands, and he held them over a stormy sea, and he says, peace be still, and he, and he stops the storm. And if this isn't the one that doesn't get you, they put nails in his hands. And you know what Jesus did with that? He brought forth redemption for the whole world. In the hands of Jesus, miracles happen. That's why I love when it says in Ephesians chapter 3, to him who is able to do abundantly more than all we ask or think according to the work that is within us. To him be glory in the church. You see, in the hands of Jesus, he can do more than we can even imagine or think. Like what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, uh, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He chose us. 2 Chronicles 16.9 tells us that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro Throughout the whole earth 
to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Now that word blameless does not mean without fault. It can also be translated as whole is what it means. See, God is not looking for servants who are already fully formed. People who've got talent and money and accomplishments. God is looking for hearts that are wholly devoted to him. So the eyes of the Lord, they run to and fro the earth this this morning, even right now. And his eyes are looking over the hearts that are here today. Will he find hearts that are blameless, hearts that are wholly devoted to him? And it's those hearts that he says he wants to give strong support to. Hearts hearts that are open to him, hearts that have heard the call, come follow me, hearts that sing like that old hymn, wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, he goes. Hearts that sing like the other old hymn. um, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Though none go with me, no turning back. See, if you're truly resolved to follow Jesus where he leads, he will equip you. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. Now, I got to teach on the flip side of this with this truth, because I've seen people take the truth that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. I've seen people misapply that truth. And they'll, they'll apply it like this. They'll say, okay, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. So here, God, do it. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to sit here, and I'm expecting you to maybe unscrew the top of my head, and then pour in all the the, 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 the knowledge of your word and, and experience and the will, you, you just pour it all in here and, and I'll just receive it passively. And that it's just going to happen like that because we like things to happen like that in this day and age. And while it's true that God does not call the equipped, he equips the call, God does not open your head and just pour his stuff in. God has always shaped his servants through process. And and the plan of God that he's going to unfold in your life is going to happen in steps, in process. I mean, when I gave my heart to Jesus back in 1991, I had no idea that I would be serving him in this way. In fact, there was years ago, people would ask me when I was serving as a youth pastor, said, hey, when are you going to be a real minister and, and, and be a pastor? And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I want no no part of that. Um, But he's grown me. Steps by steps along the way. That's what he's going to do with you. It happens through process. Look, Jesus spent nearly three years with the 12 disciples. It took time. Uh, I've just seen so many people. they, They hear the call and they're ready for action. But they don't want to participate in the in the building up. Yeah, I think one of my favorite examples of God equipping the called is the story of David, the, the, the second king of Israel. David, um, he was a shepherd boy, and he was the youngest in his family. And let me read you the story of his calling. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 16. It says, When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. 
Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord's not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now David was probably between the ages of 13 and 15 when this happened. Imagine what that's like. You are a teenage boy. I've got a 13-year-old sitting here. You're, you're a teenage boy. You're, you're, you're just starting in the in maturity process into manhood. And now the prophet, the prophet of Israel comes to your house. And now he says, kneel. And he comes over there and he anoints your head with oil and he prays a prayer over you and lays his hands on you and he anoints you king over Israel. And you're 13. wonder what went through David's mind at that time. He heard the call. But David did not become king that day. He had heard the call. He was anointed by the prophet, but he did not become a king for many years. In fact... Um, Flip through, flip through your Bibles with me, all right? In First uh, Samuel, let's just start touring. Um, he gets anointed king over Israel in chapter 16, all right? Then you see that uh, David, still in chapter 16, starting at verse 14, it, he, becomes, he goes in the service of Saul. So he's working in the palace. Just think of what's going through his mind. Okay, Samuel just anointed me. Now I'm in the palace cleaning and serving. I'm supposed to be king, all right? Then chapter 17, you find the familiar story of of David uh, defeating Goliath. You go through there, chapter 18, you see uh, uh, David in chapter 18. He marries Saul's daughter, Michael, okay? Still going on, all right. Uh, in chapter 19, now Saul is trying to kill David. He's still not king yet. So he's worked in the kingdom. He's conquered a giant. He's married a, a princess. Now he's trying to be killed by... What does this do with this little guy's mind? Um, chapters 20 through 27, you just flip through them. These are all stories of David on the run. Running for his life from Saul. Then in chapter 28, uh, David is um, he's doing battle against the Philistines. Uh, same in verse 29, I mean not verse 20, chapter 29 or chapter 30, more battles. In chapter 31, Saul dies. So does he become king then? No, he doesn't. Um, you go into 2 Samuel. Um, in the second chapter, David becomes king over Judah, the, the southern portion of the kingdom. But see, Saul's family still says, no, Saul's king. And so they're ruling the northern half over there. And so for the next, uh, for ch- from chapters 3 and 4 
David is doing battle with Saul's family. And it's not until chapter 5 of 2 Samuel that David finally becomes king over Israel. David was probably around 30 when that happened, when he finally became king over Israel. Anointed at 15, doesn't become king. The call is presented at 15, but it actually happens at age 30. 15 years of time, 15 years of equipping. I think about uh, 2 Peter 3, 9 that says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises as some count slowness. See, you might even have heard a call on your life, and you might be sitting there going, When, when God, when God, when, when God. And you might be just like David. And he says, I'm going to build you up. I'm going to build you up. I'm, I've, I've, I've given you a grace to even let you know that, it's, that, that, that there's a specific that I'm calling you to. But, but, but join me in this process of getting there. Oftentimes we hear the call of God and we expect immediate results. Sometimes the call is leading you to a destination that is well into the future. The question is, since the, since the eyes of the Lord are looking for hearts that are wholly devoted to Him, the question is, does God have enough of your heart to complete the journey? See, God's equipping takes time and requires effort. The calling is there. Now will you follow through with the equipping? Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I, I just can't help but be sad. As I've known so many believers throughout the years who, who just don't feel like it's worth their time to get involved in God's Word. You're missing out. It's been given to you for you to be equipped for every good work. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The, the, the heritage that we've been handed down in America is um, ministers do ministering. Y'all just watch. But, but the Bible says that the ministers need to equip the saints to do the works of the ministry. And that's, I, I take that, that very seriously. That, that's my aim. To help you I find God's place and be equipped the way God wants you to be equipped. Hebrews 13. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead of our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through, through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. And then I'll close with this one. Jesus says in John 15, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears fruit. Or apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, this equipping, it happens in connection with Jesus. 
in his word, allowing others whom God has called to equip you. And the question today is, the question is not, does God have a call on your life? I know he does. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. God's got a purpose and a plan for you. God has called you like an ordinary person, like he, just would, like he did with Peter and John. Ordinary, unremarkable. But they noticed, they said, nah, these guys were uneducated, common. But they have been with Jesus. Well, the question today is, does, does God have enough of your heart to lead you through the process of equipping? If he does, what an amazing thing that's going to be able to see unfold in the months and years to come. Who knows what significance sits in this room today does he have enough of your heart the eyes of the lord look to and fro the whole earth looking for a heart that's wholly devoted to him that he can give strong support to may that be you he equips through process well let me close with this let's at least talk about the first step You have to enter into a relationship with Jesus where he saves you. All of us are sinners. All of us, our sin disqualifies us from a relationship with God. He is holy and perfect and we are far from it. But because Jesus took those nails in his hands and miraculously creates redemption for all of us, if you would believe in his death and in his resurrection and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says you'll be saved. It's the first step. Have you at least taken that first step? If not, I invite you. Let me help you with that. I took that first step when I was 17, almost 18 years of age. I had no idea what Jesus was going to do with me, but I knew that I was lost without him, and I wasn't going to do one more day without God in my life. Took that first step. Let me help you take that first step. If you have taken that first step, then how about today we do a prayer dedication just privately and say, God, I've taken that first step and I, I believe and I trust in your son Jesus to save me from my sin and save my soul. But now God, lead me in all the many steps ahead of the way. And if it takes 15 years like you took with David, so be it. You have my heart. Take me on the journey that's before me.